Welcome to episode 301 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you heard I'm working on a new book? It's my third, and the focus is on purpose-first design and quality online facilitation, which leads to intentional engagement and memorable online experiences. But before you can dive into that material, you need to feel confident and competent with Zoom basics and online facilitation techniques, which is why I've created dozens of Zoom tutorial videos, and I'll be featuring some of them each week for the next few weeks. If you've ever presented with slides online, then you definitely want to pay attention. Because let's be honest, the chances of not using slides when presenting on Zoom are pretty slim. Wouldn't it make sense to learn how to use them to your advantage and without confusion? That's exactly what my free Presenting with Slides series will show you in four quick tutorial videos. You'll learn how to quickly switch between sharing slides and speaking directly to participants, showcase your speakers by putting them in the spotlight, and still see your participants and the chat while presenting. You get this resource and over 30 of my most requested Zoom tutorial videos at robbysamuels.com forward slash videos. And are you ready to dive even deeper? You can attend my online facilitation and purpose first design workshop on November 2nd at 1230 p.m. Eastern. During this two hour session, we'll design together a thoughtful, deliberate online event focused on purpose, intent and the expectations of your participants. You will learn how to use knowledge gaps to get your audience to stop multitasking during your session. Design your panels to respond to the most common objections to taking action and make it easy for participants to go from inspiration to action. Let's work together to make your next online session one that will not just be attended, it will be memorable. Register for $100 at robbysamuels.com forward slash better zoom. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash better zoom. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest is on a mission to help small businesses and creative entrepreneurs tell better stories, find more customers, and create new revenue streams. She helps small business owners craft video content to showcase their products and services and to grow their customer base with YouTube strategies designed to meet their business needs. She left her job in marketing and advertising to build a company of her own. She's a bilingual podcaster, English and Mandarin Chinese the creator of Phase World Media, a monetized YouTube channel with 17,000 subscribers and over 50,000 views per month. Phase World Podcast with over 200,000 downloads worldwide and Phase World Documentary Series on Amazon Prime. She also teaches how to run better Zoom meetings and webinars and own and monetize content on YouTube via Phase World Academy. Dory Clark has featured her in her best-selling book, Entrepreneurial You and Harvard Business Review. Please join me in welcoming Fei Wu. Thank you so much, Robbie. So grateful to be here. Fei, thanks so much for joining us from Grafton, Massachusetts, not far from where I was living for so long up in the Boston area. So I'm so glad that we stayed connected. You do fascinating work in the world. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? What a great question. I think over the years, I learned leadership's definition to be very different than when I was first taught what it was supposed to be. 
And for me, I think leadership means kindness, means empathy, willingness to learn and to fail, to fail hard, to get back up again and to really grow. Um, the first time I thought I had the potential to lead was I think when I was a kid, because I was born and raised as an only child, uh, you have to constantly come up with ideas and playful things to do with your friends. And I think I was always leading that, like created my own little after school program, like very serious, designing my little private schools, like Face World Academy was already born back then and just creating games and things to do to occupy our time. That was really fun. Okay, we have to dig into this a little bit, Faye. <laughs> you are who you are, and you've always been who you are. Like, that's fascinating <laughs> to find out. All right, little Faye, where were you living at the time? Uh, I was born and raised in, in Beijing. Okay, so you're still there. Yeah. And so you're an only child, and you're, but you're clearly the ringleader organizing your friends to have activities. We, you know, in every circle of friends, there's always hopefully a person who takes charge and like make those adults are the ones who actually make reservations instead of just wandering around the streets looking for a place to eat. So as a, as a kid, you were like, here's what we're going to do. And then you, but you said it was even more than just like off the cuff games. You were even more organized. What does that mean at a, you know, primary school, you know, grades two, three, four, five kind of experience. Like what is, what is that? I'm trying to picture Faye at like, you know, eight years old. Right. I, I mean, that's a great age uh, is, you know, when I was growing up and I was born in 83. So right around that age, like 1990, early 90s, there was not a lot of stuff to do. In fact, there was no after school program. And in Beijing or China in particular, uh, after school means learning calculus and chemistry. So right, it was not exactly fun. So I would always organize and negotiate with these kids to stop on my home and luckily my parents uh, had great leadership skills and they were always very welcoming of my kids of, of my friends and so i would design things i still remember what i designed i had uh storytelling like we will have a little stage in my little bedroom and we'll like sit down have this little couch a lot of uh, stuffed animals and each person will go up there and tell a story and I remember some people would struggle and I would encourage them to say, it's okay. It doesn't have to be like profound or anything, just what you did. And some people would struggle, I would just throw them a book and they will pick something. Uh, beyond that, I remember this really silly thing, which was we didn't really have Halloween. And I just had this interest of like dressing up, right? But there's really nothing. There's no costume, like nothing back then. So I would literally paint newspaper. I would shred the newspaper and put tape around it and just paint and we love uh you know like well what is it i forgot some of those cartoons back in the day it was actually american ones just escape my what all those like machines that just turn into like different shapes and become like cars transformers transform yeah transformers yeah i was just like design all the kids to be different wow. transformer characters i mean god it's just creativity i mean it, well it's a combination it's it's leadership it's creativity it's encouraging you're coaching on mentoring and i'm thinking about all the people who you know find out later in life that they need better speaking skills but because they didn't really have opportunities to try um early on and like that you know in their first role they're mm -hmm. told to go present and they've never ever done anything like that and here you are giving grade school primary school age kids like opportunities to try to practice in a very low stakes environment you know compared to your first board meeting you're presenting at or something um what did you think you were going to be 
when you were like 12, 13, were you, you know, were you interested in leadership? Were you running for office at that time? Like, I mean, ha- how did that show up? Or were teachers like leaning on you as leaders? Mm, it's such an interesting question. Nobody even asked me about any of this in the past. So we had different ranks in school. It was really interesting. In China, it's defined by like, you're wearing this little badge on the badge. It's just like one line, two lines, or three lines. So three lines, it means you're like top of class. And one line means like you're doing pretty well. You're leading something. Maybe, you know, out of 50 kids in that classroom, you're in charge of maybe 10 of them. So I always had like two lines on my arm. So which means I'm kind of the I was actually the creative director. I don't even know what creativity meant uh, back then. For me, mostly was I was really into art. So I would, you know, plan for this huge blackboard to have different artworks on on top to feature uh, different kids' create creations in general. I would write something, poetry, and 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 those things. But my dream, I guess, growing up, I was so certain that I was going to create my own my own private schools. And I like names and uniforms designed because I think I was disappointed with the school and educational system, like at a young age. Uh, why are we taught to not all be successful? Why are we being judged by like a single grade and grades alone? So I always kind of felt really challenged by it. And you thought I could do better. I could do better. I want to start my own school. Yeah. I, I feel um, this is one of those moments where I get to peek into another culture's education system, that armband thing with the one, two, and three stripes. Never heard of this. And it's so interesting because it, it's a way to like earn respect of your peers, be recognized by your teachers for your efforts. And maybe it's a little gamification. Like, what do you need to get from one to two? You know, like, yeah. ooh, you know, you have one stripe. Like, what what's the thing you just say yes to? <laughs> um I, I don't know, right? Like it's it's so funny. Mm-hmm. I've heard of other stories in this program where people are like, well, there was this time that my teacher had to like leave the classroom and they left me in charge. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they chose me, but I went to the front of the room and I kept the order and I told everyone what to do. And we turned to page six. And I'm like, well, that's why they left you in charge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You knew exactly what to do. Right. It's mm-hmm. funny how we don't always recognize that about ourselves, but it sounds like this is a system to help both you see that potential in yourself. Um, did you have a sense that you were going to go to school and like learn how to build these private schools? And at what point did that, that dream go bust? And you're like, I need a new dream. Cause I don't know you as a person who's built a a whole bunch of schools. I didn't No, I didn't. Uh, it was, I think it was always very imaginary. Uh, I, I think I was born somehow, maybe raised in a way to start imagining things, to start picturing myself having different roles and responsibilities without ever seeing anyone actually do it. Whereas a lot of my peers at the time, uh, they were raised in such a way like, oh, okay, I want to be a doctor because my dad is one. I want to be a reporter because my mom is one. Uh, or my auntie does something. They have to be able to see and visualize something. For me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to invent my career. And luckily, very luckily for me, I guess, that's kind of how my life has been after staying traditional jobs for 10 years because of needing a green card and learned a lot, made a lot of friends. But if I were to you know, make that decision on my own, I would have probably left corporate America and start building something in my mid twenties. Yeah. I can see the yeah. impatience of having to, to move through a system. How old were you when you came to the States? 17. I just turned 17. Were you done with high school? Me. Wasn't. Uh, so I came here for senior year in high school. Wow. That is, I mean, 
what an interesting year to have such a culture shift. Yeah, it's a, I think, I mean, for academic reasons and going applying for colleges, uh, it was not the best time to come. I would urge anyone listening to this, having kids trying to study abroad, like have them show up junior year, maybe sophomore year to have some time to prepare. For us, I think it was frankly for financial reasons, because, you know, for international students at the time, we have to go to private schools that most likely will go to private colleges. As you know, they're not cheap here. So I was trying to like condense the timeline for my parents to make this a reality for me. Yeah. What was the alert to coming to the States? Uh, I think the alert was thinking about building a private school and never really end up doing that. And, you know, talking to my parents about the system that I didn't feel like I really belonged to. Um, it was very heavily or solely focused on, you know, chemistry, math, physics. That was my whole life. There's really no sports involved. In fact, if you were trying to do something different, like I was, I had my own radio show when I was 16. I thought I was like so cool going to China National Radio Station, host my own show. But coming back to school, people are like, well, that's weird. Uh, what about your academic stuff? Like the teachers are very concerned Like you shouldn't be doing that. Wow. I mean, yeah. the cultural messages that we get growing up that you don't even realize you're swimming in it until you take a step out of line, right? Like, there's this mm. sort of agreement we make with, with whatever society we're in of how we're supposed to be. And then you 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 break that agreement in some way, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle. And people are like, toe the line, get back in line. Like, it, you know, and I have to say, sometimes it makes peers nervous because if you're doing it, it means that they could be doing it. And yeah. that raises uncomfortable questions about why they're not and what risks they're not willing to take. And and, you know, do they really want to be a doctor just like their parent, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it's, you know, it's much easier just to believe that that's all destiny and you blew that up by being yourself. How was it possible that you were such an individualist minded person in a culture that's not supporting that? I mean, that's a very American, you know, way of thinking. Where does this come from and how did your parents support it? Um, I mean, it seems yeah. like they, they planted all of their dreams on you. You're the, you're the kid, the, the capital T kid. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so fascinating to reflect because I have definitely have my parents to thank for my mom in particular, who uh, was still is an artist, like a crazy artist who just finished uh, this four meter by two meter silk canvas yesterday. We did like, a, she's seven years old and we're doing like Instagram videos and reels. But looking back, she was the reason why I was uh, very connected to the outside world, not just outside of our family, our city, but to her friends in Europe, in North America. She still doesn't speak English very well at all, yet there was always some sort of translator. She had a lot of people following her work, uh, artworks in, in particular. So I was always exposed to people who are very different than us. And I saw, you know, in my life, so lucky to have my mom, who is a very successful artist, who realized all the naysayers to say you should never be an artist, don't even think about playing the violin. Like I hear those conversations, yet I am witnessing something that is so, you know, beyond words. So I wanted to challenge the system. But with that said, I got to be honest, like being, I remember being 13, 14, 15, man, I just want to be like everybody else. So on, on one hand, I would go out there and do the radio show, write articles, go to certain competitions that were very uncommon. Uh, on the other hand, I try to go to school and I keep my head down. I wearing, we'll wear uniforms. So, you know, like, no, no watches, shoes, every, everything's very regular, very um, plain. And I really try very hard to fit in at the same time. 
Yeah, I mean, it seems like in a world where, um, you know, wearing a beret would be the way to to share individuality. <laughs> you know, like everything else is so uniform, and like that's the only thing you can do. And then you're like showing up with all this outside world experience, interests, um, a willingness to kind of explore. And I guess coming to the states is like an extension of that, then because you were, you kind of almost had a, a I don't know, like a path that led to that possibility. It mm. didn't seem like completely out of nowhere for you to to do this. Um, but for your folks to sort of encourage that again, 17, I mean, when you're 17, you think, you know, everything, but when you're, you know, now you look back, <laughs> it's pretty incredible uh, that you did that. And the 17, let's see. Um, so that was 2000. Is that yeah, right? 2000. That's right. So it was a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. And um, so, uh, you came here, what were you studying? Like you, you got to school, you went to college, you were mm -hmm. going to re redefine the private school. <laughs> what, what ended up happening? Yeah. So I came to high school first, just a regular high school curriculum, took my SATs. That was pretty scary. Did really well in math, English. I have no idea what that language even was during the SAT. Um, and I went to college to study computer science and math it was a dual major. I did it because I didn't want to be graduating without the job. I just thought, you know, after so many years of all that financial pressure for my parents. So I majored in and I don't regret it. It was very challenging for me to study. Uh, I ended up, long story short, you know, grabbing a job. Uh, I had co-ops as well. So uh, after school, I worked in computer science or programming for a couple of years, very quickly realized it wasn't the right fit for me, uh, kind of found myself as like this middle tier in this enterprise uh kind of construct and you know it just felt like wasn't a linchpin uh there's something beyond that i i was looking for so i shifted into project management which kind of opened my eyes up to digital marketing user experience design a qa and development it was so interesting so i i realized i i learned a lot of different skills and combining them to build my company on top of all the skills I learned as a podcaster. It, it was uh, not very straightforward, but somehow magically made it work. And I think you probably feel the same way, Robbie's like, how are we sustaining this? <laughs> so you mentioned co-op. Does that mean you went to Northeastern? I did. Yeah. Did you? No, but I've hired co-ops. So um, that's how I'm familiar with it. And uh, what a great experience. So for those listening, Northeastern has the ability for you to attend uh, at least one, if not more, um, six-month real-world uh, working experiences. And a lot of times, people do find a way to get hired from that. And compared to a, a four-year school that most people attend, um, the kind of like outside experience you get introductions if you if you understand how to work that right if you like know how to network if you do good work on this on the job and all of that um it can be really powerful so um and also tell you what you don't like <laughs> sometimes you like get exposed to something you're like oh this was an awful six months i would not want to commit a career to this um so so we'll shout out to northeastern for that but you um you said that you know you you got from that to uh, the part of the green card is you had to have certain kind of work where people were going to sponsor you and if uh, if folks haven't gone through that process they can't quite understand there's a lot I mean it's it's a lot of steps and you I, I'm guessing a lot of compromise in some ways to like what you're like what is the stretch of what you're willing to do mm -hmm. to stay here 
and you've made it work because you learned a lot of transferable skills that eventually helped you do your own thing. It sounds like you like turn it into a learning experience rather than just like a, you know, mm -hmm. do the job and go home. True. You know, these days I hear young millennials, centennials talk about job. And I think to myself, wow, I wish I was that cool and relaxed and just do whatever, you know, felt right in that moment. You're right. I, I think I, I took the, my jobs very seriously, maybe too seriously sometimes. And luckily I, I never really had a job just like printing paper or serving coffee. I was, they were all pretty serious in consulting. So I was exposed to a lot of big brands, like working for Sunglass Hut and Burberry and Tom Ford and, you know, Talbis, TJX. Like I was exposed to a lot of different brands. And very quickly I learned that I didn't really care about the big brands. It was really the people on the team, whether it's my team from the consulting firm or the client teams that, uh, that made a huge difference. Like what that's what made or, or broke my experience at the time. And at what point do you think I'm going to do this under my own name? Like I'm going to create my own business. Like mm -hmm. was that in the back of your mind the entire time? And you were just trying to figure out the right exit strategy or was it an opportunity that led to that? I think I was always ready. I, I think I didn't really give myself any exact timeline knowing that number one, I needed a green card and I wasn't going to do it through necessary through like marriage. I wanted something to be done on my own and being a Chinese citizen, like so is for an Indian citizen, the, the, the line is so long. It takes, you need extreme patience to wait for your place and which is something I had to do. I didn't get my green card until 2015. So 15 years later. Uh, so yeah, it took a lot of patience. It's worth it. Um, but to answer your question, uh, when I was 24, my dad was diagnosed with like third stage uh, esophageal cancer, and he eventually passed away after two years. And during those two years, as an international in, in place, a foreign employee to travel back and forth was very, very risky. At any point uh, that I could have, you know, a visa taken away, people could question it. What do you mean? Um, so that's also what intrigued my recent interest in like palliative care and what it's like to be a caregiver and all that jazz. So I think right around 26, I really had the clarity to say, I really want to do this on my own. What if this happens to not just my mom, you know, God forbid, it's like people I love, my friends, I want to be there for them. I don't want to beg for a two-day vacation. I don't want to have to ask for anyone's permission. I want to be there. So that really became the North Star as opposed to making a lot of money, be famous, do create something really great. I'm like, no, I just want to be there for my loved ones. I need to start something on my own. You know, a lot of people have such a um, sort of misunderstanding, including me, of what it means to have a job and what 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 does security mean when you have a job? And, you know, anytime there's a downturn in the economy and there's layoffs people start to wake up to the fact that the job that they think of as like their safety like like they look at us going like oh my god i, I could never be an entrepreneur it's so risky and then I'm like oh I, you know how's those layoffs going there at your job you know like Ugh. um yeah. you know whereas like when the pandemic hit i mean we all had to make decisions about what we did but they were all my decisions to make i wasn't waiting on someone else to like figure out the game plan and then tell me, you know, six layers down. So I think that you probably had a better understanding that of that than most, particularly I'm realizing that you were in college during 2001. Mm -hmm. um, so 9-11 happens, the economy and the, all the ripple. I mean, we were just, you got here right after the, the, the dot-com bubble <laughs> burst. <laughs> and then you, 9-11 uh, happened while you're in school. 
and you're trying to figure out how to like get a job in the middle of a, a an unhelpful market. So probably going in, you already had like an understanding that that wasn't the same. I mean, I, th- I think people misunderstand all the time. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing that you also weren't like, well, I'm going to take this 50 hour work week at a job and trade it in for an 80 hour work week as an, as an entrepreneur, um, <laughs> which is what people end up doing because you set your goals differently. And is, have you felt like you've been able to keep those goals like modest or as you become more successful, do you feel the, the, either the itch or the expectation to like raise them up, you know, multifold? Yeah. Such a great question. And you just reminded me that I, you know, when you, first ask about leadership, the definition. I think the word I left out for that answer is resilience. I think that is so huge for for people to realize that not just when things are going well, like you said, it's like after 9-11, after all those downturns and you thought to yourself, I can handle this. I'm going to get through it. And so, you know, in terms of being an entrepreneur and changing goals and realizing like what what I'm here for, what should the Phase World Media brand be about? I definitely have my struggles. And even though it's not something that we always talk about, they get to be surfaced to the top. Um, you know, earlier this year, I, I said to myself, like with full transparency, I'd be like, oh, it would be good to hit like $30,000, uh, you know, monthly goals. Just we're not even thinking through like why it was necessary. Like, do I even need that money to sustain my current lifestyle? I wasn't really thinking. And I was thinking, what would be the cost? I, I didn't really ask myself, what would be the cost of getting there? Uh, saying yes to that means saying no to something else. So I, I think 2022 somehow I've come through to realize that for me, it's about understanding, like really checking in with myself on a daily basis. I do meditate and you know, pretty lightly. I'm not like a professional meditator, but I try to <laughs> check in with myself, taking deep breath and just like feeling refreshed and realize, well, today's a good day. Now I'm feeling successful because of that, as opposed to running around, never checking in with myself, never really attending to my own needs, um, checking with my health. It's like, I'm feeling really good. This is my new goal, uh, new North Star. And in terms of really business talk, if you ever want to get there, for me, it's about building more uh, truly it's active income, you know, active versus passive. I think a lot of my income streams right now still are pretty active um, and it requires a, a lot of work, frankly. And uh, I think I'm not so much traveling. So kind of shift that to find that balance is still work in progress. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about um, how the goalposts of success kind of move. And if you don't, take a moment to pause and reflect on like what is happening and what you are grateful for. You miss the milestones that you can be like celebrating because as soon as, you know, you're like, Oh, a thousand downloads, like was the goal. But as soon as you get to a thousand, you're like, no, 5,000, you know, yeah. you get to 5,000. You're like, Oh, that's nothing. I know someone who's got 25,000 that. So I, I haven't really hit anything. You know, you're like, oh, why mm-hmm. do it to ourselves? How did, what was the first product you or service you decided to sell as an entrepreneur when you were leaving uh, the world of corporate? How mm-hmm. did you define that? Yeah. So to, for me, it was <laughs> really kind of straightforward because at that point I had been running my podcast for exactly two years, I think a year and a half. And at the time, a lot of people, a lot of my guests found out that I'm in digital marketing, exactly what it meant. They were not so sure, but I was really, I think I was good at talking to people finding out and be very interested in their own in their stories in a way that I never that's never been told before for them to to realize something so I literally ended up designing websites and it was instead of the traditional 
agency style, like wireframing and tons of money. I was literally coming out of a conversation and I could wireframe, I could draw their story, I could build a website, I can redesign a site that they were not so happy with. And it the whole process for the first six months to a year just felt so emotional. Like I would get on a Zoom call and see these women, like literally just like I feel them like lifting from their chairs. They're like in tears. And when they see the site, I'm like, wow, I've never had these experiences before when working for uh, consulting firms. And I should do more of this. So, so the, that was my first uh, product. Were you still employed when you started doing this as a side hustle? I had I had that uh, as a side hustle for just a short while, like not taking it very seriously. So I started doing that in like 2015 for some friends, for some podcast guests. But I started doing it a little more seriously when I launched uh, Face World LLC in January 2016. And frankly, that was really one part of the business. The other part of it was I was immediately hired as a project manager to work for several local agencies. So they paid really well. Um, that kind of took the pressure off of having to sell so many websites, you know? Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things here. One, you and I have a mutual friend, Dora Clark, and she once told me, you know, it's time to leave your job when it gets in the way of your business. So, <laughs> you know, like you have enough kind of going on that you like have an idea. But the other thing is if you get a sort of a ongoing contract to do something as you're launching your own business that leaves you enough time and space to, to build your business while like taking the pressure off. I mean, that's really great because I've never liked taking gigs because they paid. I like taking gigs because I think they're interesting or I can have an impact or I, I like the people. Um, but like mm -hmm. to only aim for dollars meant taking on things that in the long run, I would just burn out. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, creating, creating that environment where you can be a little choosy in the beginning is hard when you're really hungry and literally need to, chase every dollar if you can find that space. Um, but then I imagine it didn't stay as uh, that as, oh, I, I have one other question. You said you launched as an LLC right away too. What led to that decision? Because you really are a huge brand right now. Like you, you, I can, I get the LLC right now. You've got a lot mm -hmm. of things that are mm -hmm. going on, but like what led to that? Was that sort of a um, coming in, you're like, this is what makes a real business a real business. Like, I'm always curious when people decide to be LLCs. Yeah, uh, great question. You know, um, my partner, Adam, has been a an entrepreneur, freelancer forever. I think since he was like 16 or something. He's always had an uh, S-Corp. So I actually started with S-Corp. Now, in retrospect, second year, I'm like, no, it should be an LLC. S-Corp is way too big for me. It's ridiculous. Uh, makes paper and filing all, all that much more complicated. But I decided on just having a, a corporation or a company from the start is because I really want a, a very clear separation between my personal versus my business, not just expenses. A lot of people are thinking about expenses only. I'm thinking about assets. So eventually, you know, my car, my house, I want all of these things to be protected from my business. Because in a naive way, like, yeah, how often do you get sued as a business, as a small business? Probably not that often. But when it does happen, right? Uh, that is the unfortunate part, I think, of the United States that people are always joking about, like, I'm going to sue you. And then there's a lot of, you know, suing going on, like, unnecessarily. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I said, let's protect ourselves and, and you know, put our, uh, put our I don't know, big girl pants on. So my business took off in 2020. And that was when I finally had to face this question of LLC. I was doing a lot of like work for bigger companies. Mm. You know, it's one thing when you're working for like, you know, individuals. So it didn't really come up. We start working for major companies. They want they want to see some of that, but then um, I hit like a, a 
financial threshold. Again, Dora Clark, like advice ringing in my ears, like, you don't have to think about like the whole LLC S Corp thing until you reach. And so I reached yeah. that point and I ended up doing both LLC and S Corp at the same time. And then wow. I moved states and I tell you, oh my gosh, I said to you as we we're getting on this call, like I'm still a year in <laughs> trying to get all the tax stuff figured out. I have one thing left, but, um, but I feel like now that it's set up and I'm actually drawing a paycheck, it's I'm treating my business differently mentally than I did before, um, which feels really good. But it's it is an interesting shift. And I think a lot of people wonder that. So um, I, I, I want to hear about the challenge. Like you, there's a lot that you've overcome. You've you've made a lot of really interesting decisions in your life from a very young age to be who you are, like to just be yourself, to follow your dreams, follow your path. And you're smart and you're savvy. You're you know, you're good at connecting with people. We'll talk more about that in a minute. I'm curious, as you're building this business, what was the thing that was actually most challenging or got you out of your comfort zone a bit, or you needed to hire people to fill in that level of knowledge? Like, where did you feel like it couldn't just be you? Mm, Yeah. I mean, those are two things, exactly those two things you mentioned. I think number one is the mindset. I don't think a lot of us were trained or brought up to have an entrepreneurial mindset. Reading books don't quite cut it. You kind of have to be in an environment, being in a community to understand, again, resilience when things are not going well. And for me, I think I've been pretty type A my my life. I think some of that comes from my upbringing. My parents are artists and pretty chill, but I also had like a very traumatic period of my life between the age of six to 10, living with my grandparents who were extremely strict and just mentally very abusive. So I grew up thinking I need a credit card in the car to get out of here. I, so I was always having this urge of being independent, uh, which by the way is a myth because nobody is truly independent. So having that, I can still feel like that's clinging on, which makes me make wrong decisions of pushing myself too hard and burnout. So burnout was a real issue for me, uh, became very, very real in 2017, 2018, around that time. I had my GERD acid reflux, which took a year and a half to recover, not being able to sleep very well. Um, so taking that very seriously. And second thing, like you said, Robbie, is about getting help. Now, I actually reflected on that today because we all know that we need help. It can't just be on our own. But how? who should we hire? How much should we pay? And the beginning, before you build a team now, I'm luck- lucky for me. I have a team like of four people, including myself. Everybody's so clear on their roles. They're so well-trained. They've been with me for years. I didn't have that. Nobody will have that at the beginning. So to train the people and have to fail yourself, fail the other person, and, and have to pick up everything once again to build a system, that's real work. And I that can drive a lot of frustration. So overcoming those two things were so important. Um, yeah, it is life-changing. Were you part of an entrepreneurial community when you were building this business or did you have to seek them out? And how did you find Adam? That was my other sort of second part of that question. Since he's such a big part of your story. But yeah, how did you get connected in or, and were you as you made this shift? Yeah. So I met Adam through uh, Taekwondo. It was kind of unusual too. Yeah. These days it's kind of interesting. I I met a lot of really great people through uh, practicing Taekwondo, which is a Korean form of martial arts. And um, your second question about entrepreneurial group and community. Uh, So when I started my podcast in 2014, zero, that was really hard. Very few people, nobody I knew had a podcast. People were kind of making fun of me a bit. 
And in 2016, still, I would say there was like a, sort of a small community. I didn't even think about it. So Dory Clark played a big, uh, you know, big part in this and introducing me to a few people here and there. And then I waited until I had my business for one year. So in January 2017, I'll never forget this. I signed up for Seth Godin's L10BA number eight. Now they have like, I don't know, 40, 60 sessions already done. So immediately I was thrown into this group of 20, 30 people. I was very close to about like five to 10 people within that cohort. And literally during that session, I signed up two clients who just like walked into my life to say, I want to work with you. And I actually still very good friends with one of them. Oh, several of them, but Gustavo Serafini from that session is was on a call with me right before this. We started the Enable Disabled project for people with a disability. So, and it's very transformative. But uh, poor me back in the early days with no support, that was really hard. Yeah, it sounds it. I mean, 2014 is, I mean, it's not 2007 of podcasts, but it's still very early. I mean, uh, people didn't know how to listen to it still. There was mm-hmm. like a very mighty small group of people who were like devotees to this new medium and interested in creating and listening. And um, it's, you know, I, I, in 2014, I was listening to Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn. Me too. And got the, like, yeah. And was sort of like, okay, instead of trying to get into all the amazing ventures and business ideas I'm hearing from their guests, I need to take a break, like recenter on the thing I know I want to do, which was speaking and launch my own show. And that's how I started working on the show in 2015. The podcast mm-hmm. mic that I have that we were talking about earlier was because Pat Flynn had it. <laughs> I mean, I've look, looked at all these possibilities. So I, I can see how it's a great place to start. Like you had the experience on radio, you you mm-hmm. understood the medium, It like the idea of interviewing people, great networking skill as well. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, not having quite the right people around you, and it's mm-hmm. kind of shocking that you were able to jump right into Alt MBA. I'm curious how you said yes, because I imagine that's not an inexpensive or like take it lightly kind of commitment. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's it's a money and it's time. How do you know that that was the right sort of big leap to take? I have been reading every single book of Seth Godin since around, I think, 2003. And he was very pivotal, him and uh, Dory were pivotal in my decision to start my uh, my own company. So I remember when I got the email in 2016 to say L10BA, this brand new thing, I was ready to rock, frankly. And then I, I waited because I wanted to really focus and just start building the business. But by the time the application came around in late 2016, that he was ready to start a new cohort, man, I jumped on that so quick. It was $3,000. Now it's 4400 4450 Somebody asked me yesterday. That's why I know the exact amount. And I, w- I was ready to go full force forward. That's amazing. So I got a chance to interview uh, Seth episode 120. Oh, and yeah. um, he's probably like, other than Dory, who I think was famous, but, you know, within a world, I think Seth is probably the most well-known name. And everyone's like, how'd you get Seth? I'm like, I asked him. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, he had a new book coming out. So I asked him and he yeah. said, yes, <laughs> it's like. Um, always an example of, you know, you miss all the shots you don't take Wayne Gretzky kind of quote, right? Like I was like, well, if I don't ask him, he'll never say yes. So um, he was very gracious to, to come on. Um, I mean, it sounds like you you chose the right people to follow because they attracted other good people. And now mm-hmm. you've developed an amazing sort of network. You have your innermost circle, 
right? The people you know you're going to stay in touch with, but then you have sort of the second and third layer or tier out the people you see once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but these are people you like, I should say, Mm -hmm. these people you enjoy. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of connections? Do you have any habits, philosophies, practices? I mean, I learn a lot from you, Robbie. I mean, you're, you seem to be really good at not just nurturing your community, but actually bring people together and do stuff together that's mutually beneficial. So you're right. I think starting and keeping an email list is huge. I definitely made the mistake of starting the list and I really didn't do anything with it or started some sort of campaign and it just like fell off the radar. And so these days, I definitely believe that I'm you know, sending text messages. People start stop doing that. I do. I still love emails. So I'll drop an email every once in a while. I send cards. I send gifts. Ellie Burdick is something that I order for my dearest friends and because uh, shipping costs like a million dollars. And that's kind of how I keep in touch. And frankly, I don't know how you feel about this, Robbie, but when we go live, right, like going live, whether on social media for me, I go live with all my podcast guests. You know, I I can't believe I haven't talked to you yet, but I did send you the link. So I hope you will hop on with me. And uh, that's somehow when it happens, my network will, whoever gets to see this, they will drop me a note, not necessarily reflecting on what's been talked about in the show. Be like, oh, Faye, you know, that was really interesting that you talked to Robbie and uh, what have you been up to? And let's chat. And and when you create content and actually put it out there, it just reminds people that of your existence and they, they reach back out. Yeah. Especially when the, the content resonates with them and yeah. it's quality and it makes them think and they learn and they it, yeah, when they see that your names in their inbox and they're actually excited to open the email, it's always a good sign. Um, <laughs> they're like, oh, what's this person up to? As opposed to be like, up, oh, delete, skip, <laughs> unsubscribe. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I think uh, like you, I mean, I, I'm really interested in um, kind of keeping in touch with people. I started trying to do kind of the surprise and delight, you know, uh, not just do it by rote, not send, you know, don't just send a thank you card at Thanksgiving, but like try to bring it up at other points. And then I just read Giftology uh, by John Rulin. And I had this moment where I was like, wait, I do this. <laughs> I, was <laughs> like, I was like, oh, had I, I, did I already read this? I was so confused because I was like, I yeah. know all these concepts, even the surprise and delight phrase, which I thought mm-hmm. I took from Disney, which I probably did take from Disney, um, mm-hmm. is actually a phrase he uses in the book. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, this just all makes sense. And I loved Having it laid out like that was really helpful. So for folks who want to be more like what Faye's saying, which is, you know, sharing cards, notes, you know, staying in touch with people, not in an automated, like, like, I don't know, not in a way that just feels false, but feels genuine. What a great book. And I'm like, why did I not? I don't know. I feel like maybe I listened to it such a long time ago that I forgot that I listened to it. Mm-hmm. I read it. I can't remember now, but um, it was great. Great. And I'm curious, do you have a CRM or? A spreadsheet, like how do you keep track of the most important people that you want to stay in touch with? Yeah. I mean, first, like before I answer that question, I want to comment on what you did, which I think it's so essential that most people don't do is that you put your personal stories in the way that you connect and nurture your community. Because as I mentioned before we started recording, I realized in the past few years, yeah, the channel's growing and all that. It's monetized and all this great brand deals. And I realized I somehow took myself out of the brand that my article, my videos became this recipe. People follow, thank me, and then leave. 
But when I get your cards, right? Like I, you did, you do something which is asking us for our name, email, email, email uh, address, and all that. For once, I was like, oh my god, is this not you? Is like somebody hacked Robbie's account and started like collecting addresses. So, and then I realized it really was you, and you will share all these stories about your children. What and I read all of that, and I feel like I'm watching them grow up, even though I've never even met them. So I just want to mention how special it is to put you in your story, and it's very memorable. Um, and so to answer your question related to CRM, oh God, I tried a lot of things. I even play with HubSpot. Uh, I these days for new business deals and for we're developing a software called Pod Intelligence, as you know, we use uh, basically Monday.com to keep track of all the prospects and leads. And a lot of them are friends and family to start. And they branch out from there at monday.com. But these days, I mean, I look at my email right now, I'm, I'm using a superhuman. I never thought I would spend $30 a month on some sort of an email software, but it's worked out really well for reminding me, for me to group different people. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what I do and my email list is something that I keep really clean. And even years ago, guys, like if you're watching this, you're like, I don't want to even play with software. You can literally start with an Excel spreadsheet. You can start with just Google spreadsheet. I did that for years and I will always surface. I'll automate them in such a way that if I haven't been in touch with someone for a long time, they will just automatically just come back to the top. So I just set the algorithm to remind me um, that I stay in touch with people every three months, six months, you know, it doesn't take that much effort. What what system are you using that reminds you to bring them back to the top? Is that superhuman or? So superhuman has a way of doing that. I, back in the old days in 2016, 17, I, I still today, frankly, I just keep track of the most important contacts in yeah. a spreadsheet. And you should talk to Adam all about it. Adam has built software called my model and that will organize all the contacts and you can give it color emphasis and and all that there is also a, a tool that i can't remember on top of my head but i will look it up jordan harbinger uses something that's completely automated that's why he texts and email people all the time with one liner there is a software that will literally do these things like auto automatically for you but i think text messages something manual is very important as well yeah yeah, yeah. in some ways this goes back to um, being in the platform that you want to use rather than automating to the platforms because they all mm -hmm. are unique. And it'd be weird to send a text with hashtags. <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. That'd be really strange. Um, <laughs> we kind of out of place. But it sounds like you, I mean, a lot of systems you're, you're mentioning, we'll put all those links in the show notes so people can start to review them. The, the reference you made is that um, I made a decision um, to start collecting mailing addresses for my podcast guests, maybe like two and a half or three years ago. And at mm -hmm. first I did nothing with it. Like I just added it to the intake form for the guest. And then I was like, well, I'm doing this. I should do something with it. And I so just sending a, sending a card or sending a, a thank you gift after the interview felt like as much as I appreciate that people have done that for me, it doesn't feel like it feels like transactional. Mm -hmm. It's very nice. But it didn't feel like, oh, they thought of me. It's like, oh, interview was done. Check that box. Next box is send card. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, like intern can take care of that. So I, but I was like, okay, what do I do? But don't like, don't build an email list or a mailing list and do nothing with it, right? Uh, that's the second sin. The first sin is to not build one at all. 
Um, so I decided I was going to start expanding who I sent our annual newsletter, uh, sorry, New Year's uh, card. So I don't do a Christmas card. Not everyone celebrates. We do a New Year's card, but we mm -hmm. write a letter about our family and mm -hmm. then we manually hand stuff them <laughs> and hand stamp them and hand address them. And it takes forever. Um, but I expanded and I added hundreds of people over the last few years who get that. Oh, and you were one of those people that was like, I was like, I, I'm very careful because I have bloated other CRMs where I've attached yeah. it to an email uh, inbox. And then I, everybody I've ever emailed, like the plumber ends up in my CRM. And I'm like, oh, I don't <laughs> think I need to be tracking the plumber, you know, my next door neighbor, all this stuff. So this list, I really protect and I review it because every month I download the upcoming month's um, birthdays and mm -hmm. I send out, and I, I think about each person and I, I don't automate it. Like I am sitting there actually thinking about it and taking the time to write the message, but that helps me keep it clean. Cause if I can't remember who the person was yeah. or I'm like, really, there's nothing we have in common anymore. Um, and sometimes it reminds me of people who are not on the list. Cause I'm like, Oh, I, I probably have so-and-so too. And then I check and I'm like, oops. So that's yeah. postable.com and it's a free address mm -hmm. book. And then you can also mail cards through it. So anyway, it's, it's, I think systems are helpful. I think it's helpful to know why you're using systems. Like, mm -hmm. don't just like buy a CRM um, because they can get <laughs> expensive. And you're like, why do I have this thing? But it sounds so, like you're putting it all to good use. Yeah. Another technique, and I love what you're doing with your mailing list. Uh, another technique I use started a few years ago was to go through my phone. And uh, I always started with the letter A. Right, A, Bs, and just kind of go through context. And I was like, why am I doing this? So I would switch from Z and all the way back. So I would shift and sometimes would start midway, like M or something or K. And so I, this way, I really reach out to people. And it's really interesting how quickly, how often people do reply. Uh, you know, some people are like, new phone, who this? And, uh, uh, you know, it's really fascinating. And sometimes I have to reintroduce myself and people are like, oh, of course. And um, it, it's a beautiful thing reaching out to people. All right. One other tip that I'm I'm thinking of because you're saying this, look on your phone every month or so at your texts from a year ago. Yeah, yeah. That could be interesting. Like, and then that sometimes you just hit reply. You haven't talked to someone in a year. <laughs> like, yeah. Like just restart the conversation. Anyway, someone told me that. And I was like, oh, that is really simple. Um, mm -hmm. little thing to do. So I, you're amazing. You do so many cool things. I um one of the things we didn't really talk about that I just I, I want to say, wow, because you're the only one I know personally who has done this, the Amazon Prime documentary series, Phase World documentary series on Amazon Prime. Oh. Honestly, it's it's like level of goal that I would not have actually put on my my list. So the oh. fact that you've done it, it's like, whoo, like, congrats. <laughs> like, that's so cool. And I knew a little bit about the time, the project and all the work you put into it. So I know it's not easy. But I just wanted to like honor the effort and acknowledge that in particular. I mean, we all have podcasts. We all have books. We're very fancy. We're all doing our TEDx. I mean, it's great. <laughs> Who do I know that's got an Amazon series? Like, what? Oh, um, my God. Thank you for acknowledging it. It's actually I decided to make it the entire series completely free. So people visit my website, like faceworld.com for for slash documentary, um, all the episodes behind the scenes, how I did it, worksheets, all that's available for people to consume for free. Wow. <laughs> okay. So with that in mind, uh, let's say a year from now, I remember you and I had this conversation and I say, oh my gosh, Faye, it's been a year. 
Mm. What have you been up to in the past year? So my question to you is, what are we going to be celebrating a year from now? What are we going to be toasting? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Oh, wow. So uh, the funny thing is I, my, uh, I bought a house in 2020 uh, during the midst of the pandemic. And I am kind of, I'm all of a sudden into sustainability, understanding how things work. So a year from now, I look forward to having installed a heat pump, having installed solar panels, and we're going to have a, a pool in our backyard. So life is, uh, you guys I really look forward to your visit. I think your kid's going to really enjoy that when you guys are here. Um, we have plenty of room. We have a entire floor for guests if needed, uh, build, rebuild the basement. But that's just, it's something that I never really thought of my, thought of myself talking about at all. Never really thought of buying a house and all that. So that's great check. And in terms of the personal branding side, as I mentioned, I would love to reintroduce me, my stories, maybe some of the most um, intimate parts of my, my life, like kind of my thinking, my belief systems to be reintegrated into the site. Maybe it will be under a different domain, faceworld.blog, just purchased the domain yesterday and learn from you, Robbie, and, and kind of rebuild some of the content from the ground up an experiment. That's what I look forward to a year from now. And I will wow. start doing that today. Brilliant. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. And I you know, mentioned one of your links, but now I'm curious how else can people find you and follow your good work? Oh, uh, so the easiest way, love for you to check out my mailing list, email list, but uh, all my work can be found on faceworld.com. And if you're a YouTube person, I have a lot of my tutorials, my live updates on uh, under Faceworld Media on YouTube. So those probably are the two easiest places. Fantastic. We'll put those links in the show notes at onishmoose.com. Bay, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Faye. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 301. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. And I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. Ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.